Go to Luke chapter 15. That didn't have a lot to do with the sermon, but it might eventually. In fact, as I was sitting up here thinking, you know, there's so much sickness and keep uh, Mark and Ginny in prayer. They're both still struggling. And uh, so, so many people with so much sickness and headaches and fevers and just craziness. Um, but you know what the number one way to prevent sickness is? Wash your hands. It really is. If you go to the doctor and ask, hey, how can I, how can I prevent sickness? Wash your hands regularly. And yet how many of us don't wash our hands regularly? Well, that's way too simple. And then when we get sick, we want a pill to make us feel better. And if we would really just, just as simple as washing our hands regularly, we would all be healthier. I mean, it wouldn't eradicate all sickness and disease, but it would be better. I mean, we would rather get a flu shot than wash our hands 10 times a day. Are you with me? It sometimes is that simple. It really is. You know, God talks about how to deal with um, our own lives. If you want to ascend to the hill of the Lord, what do you do? Wash your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hearts. Come before me with joyful song. But, you know, that's not, you know, let's keep moving. Okay. So we've been talking about being truly free. Uh, there are a few books left, uh, the Robert Morse book that we've actually taken the sermon series from. We've talked about the snares of pride and bitterness and past wounds and greed and lust. And last week, the battle for our mind, which is literally where most of these things uh, take place. Um, I had a, a picture this week as I was you know, talk, thinking through this and praying through this, and we're to take every thought captive. You need to start envisioning every thought that comes into your mind like a link on a chain. And every link that comes into your mind is either you're gonna smash it with the weapons of, that God has given us or it's gonna become a link in the chain that's gonna keep us in bondage. And so every thought has to be taken captive and either demolished or it's, gonna, it's a thought from the Lord and it's gonna help us. And so we've talked about demonic oppression Demonic oppression is real and it is more common than we think. It is not always overt, uh, you know, eyes roll back in your head, the guttural sound. I mean, it's not what you see in movies, okay? The enemy comes, he masquerades as an angel of light. Adam and Eve were drawn to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it looked good, and so if we think that we're just gonna recognize him on our own apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, we're wrong. And that's why we've been given the word to tell us how the enemy works and we've been given the spirit to show us how the enemy works so we can stand against him so that we don't fall prey to his schemes. And that's really what this is all about. We've talked about the need for deliverance. We've talked about the need that we need God to literally break the chains because many believers who sit in a pew Sunday after Sunday are, are oppressed by demonic forces. I mean, you're literally being bombarded by all kinds of evil thoughts. You're being bombarded by all kinds of, uh, of addictions and, and just it's junk in our lives. And sometimes we need deliverance. And again, when we think of deliverance, we're thinking, Come to the altar, uh, fall down, foam at the mouth, shake on the floor, and the, raw, a demon comes out of you. No. 
demonic deliverance, the oppression for it to break, just means come into agreement with God's word and say, God, I have listened to the lies of the enemy. I have become bitter. I have allowed that wound to get into my heart. I've, uh, I've allowed lust into my mind and the enemy has put me into bondage. Lord, I need you to break these chains off of my life. That's what you need. You need to agree. I need a supernatural work. It's not just I need to memorize scripture. I need to, to discipline myself. I need to do it in myself. I mean, we need discipleship. And to, today we're really gonna talk about discipleship and the, the need to walk this out. But there needs to be an agreement with God that we say, God, I need you to do something supernatural so that I can disciple myself. We need deliverance, we need discipleship, and that's been the theme of this entire book. And as we come to the end today, next week we're gonna get back into our Hebrew series. Um, this is called Walking in Freedom. In the, the book he calls this Prayers for Freedom, but I called it Walking in Freedom. Galatians chapter five, verse 13 says, you have been called to live in freedom. You've been called to live in freedom. All of us in this room, we have been called to live in freedom. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 11. I know I said Luke 15, I'm getting there. Luke chapter 11, he tells a story about a spirit that gets cast out of a person and it wanders in the wilderness and it looks for a place to find rest and it can't find it. What's Jesus talking about? Literally, he's talking about us, human vessels. And demonic oppression gets broken off of our lives. And that spirit who used to oppress us is looking for a new place to rest. Because what a demonic force needs, it needs manipulation and it needs control. That's what it feeds on. The reason the scripture tells us not to be, not to do things in manipulation, not to do things to try to control others, is because that's demonic, that's witchcraft to try to exercise control or manipulate a situation for our benefit. No, it says do it openly, be honest, be upfront. Don't try to do things underhanded or behind the scenes to, to make things work out for you. That's how the enemy works. And these demonic forces need something to control. Remember when Jesus cast the spirit out and they wanted to go into the pigs? I mean, they'll take anything. And they, what they do, they led those pigs down the hill into the, the water and they drowned. Because that's, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so when you pray and you say, Lord, break this oppression off of me, that spirit has to leave. It has to agree with the word of God. But if we, if we do that and then we invite the chain links back in, I mean, they're gonna take that opportunity. We have to repent. We have to get that broken off of our lives and then we need to disciple ourselves. We need to walk in truth and stay in truth so that we don't get reattached. Because Jesus says in Luke 11, he'll find seven buddies and he'll come back stronger than he did the first time. But you can resist him because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And so we can walk in freedom. This is true for us. And in Luke chapter 15, there's a story that Jesus tells. And it's, it's interesting, this story of the prodigal son, because I've actually been studying this story for different reasons. And so I was intrigued by the fact that he used this at the end of the, the book. And uh, you're, we're going to hear this again sometime because there's so much truth in here. But let's read it quickly. And then we're going to draw some, some truths out for our lives. Verse 11, Luke 15. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. 
A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. Excuse me. And the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. No one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, first off, when the son says, give me my estate, you know what he's saying to his father? I hate you, I wish you were dead. Okay, in that context, in the culture, that's what he's saying to his father. Give me this, I don't want anything to do with you. Okay, and the father, in this day, for a father, a man, grown man to run, uh, is just, it's humiliating. It would never have happened. So, not only did the father get humiliated by the son, he humiliated himself in order to go get his son back. Okay, that, I mean, that, that truth just had to be said. So, um, verse 21, his son then says to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found and the party began. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat. Isn't it interesting that both sons, it says no one gave the, the prodigal son that was away, no one gave him anything. This son says the same thing. You never gave me anything. The prodigal son was right. No one ever gave him anything. This guy's not right. Because look what the father says. Verse 31, he says, look, son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. What do you mean I didn't give you anything? Everything I have is yours. I've given you everything. We had to celebrate for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He's lost and he's now found. If we're going to walk in freedom, he gives us four steps in the book, and we're going to look at those from Luke chapter 15. The first thing is we have to recognize we need help. We have to recognize we need help. It's not, I can just do this on my own. I need something outside of me. 
okay? In Luke chapter 15, verse 17, when the younger son came to his senses, he came to his senses. He recognized, I need something outside of me. I no longer want to be in this pig pen that I'm in. I need help. That's step one. You know, reason Alcoholic Anonymous starts step one saying, I'm an alcoholic. I have a problem. I need help. As long as we sit and deny there's a problem, there's no help coming. And the problem is the second son in this story never comes to his senses. He's just as lost as the first son, only he doesn't know it. And sometimes we sit in church week after week after week after week, and we never come to our senses. We never just say, God, I need your help. It's as simple as just washing my hands, but I just, I can't, I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. I've told you what to do. Come to me. But step one is to recognize we need help. For the second son, the problem is his bondage isn't as easy to recognize. When we look at these two sons and one is living in a pig pen and he looks like he hasn't eaten and he smells like rancid pig slop and feces and he's filthy and he squandered everything. I mean, nobody looks at that guy and says, hey, that guy doesn't need help. He's all right. But when we look at the other son, we're like, well, that guy doesn't need help He's, because it's so subtle. That's why we've talked about pride. That's why we've talked about bitterness. That's why we've talked about lust and anger and all these subtle things that creep into our lives. I mean, hey, Pastor Tom, I'm not out in the world. You know, I'm not, you know, getting drunk every night and I'm not, you know, sleeping around and I'm not doing any of those overt sins. These are just little good Christian sins that got me in bondage and all wrapped up that I can't do anything. We've been called to be free. And unless we recognize we need help, there's no freedom that's coming for us. Step number two, after we recognize we need help, we have to repent to God and to others. Repent to God and to others. You, there are so many ways that our relationships horizontally with other human beings affect our vertical relationship that we try to pretend aren't there. When Peter says, husbands, if you mistreat your wives, it hinders your prayers. Literally, if you're not treating your wife the way you should, your prayers get hindered. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. You know, it's like on a graded scale. So if I just mistreat her on a scale of one to 10, like a one, that my prayers are only hindered to one, or if it's like just a complete shutdown, I don't know. But here's the thing. I don't want any of my prayers to be hindered. And so I gotta make sure, if you don't forgive one another, your heavenly father can't forgive you. I mean, we act like these verses aren't there. That verse, every day of our lives, should cause us to wake up in the morning and say, I need help. I mean, let's not, let's not be phony. How many of us have to scream every day, God, I need help. I don't wanna hold anything against anyone. I know that somebody's gonna offend me today. I know that something's gonna happen today and I don't wanna hold on to any of it. I don't wanna be angry when my younger brother comes home and he's recognized with a feast. I don't wanna be angry and wait outside. I don't wanna be that guy. We have to repent to God and to others. He goes to the son in verse 18 says, I'll go home to my father 
and I'll say I've sinned against heaven and you. Now I know in this parable, the father represents God and I know all of that, but he says I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Did you know that in the New Testament, we're taught to confess our sins, to repent before God. But it also says that we should confess our sins to each other. And we've got all kinds of reasons. Well, people will gossip. People will talk about me behind my back. They'll think about me differently. We have all these reasons why we're smarter than God's word. And yet, the enemy uses all of those reasonings to keep us in bondage. Because if you look, you're gonna find one person somewhere in this body who's honest enough that you can confess your sin to. And if you can't, then you need to find a different church. Because if there's not one honest person here that would be able to walk with you and help you through the muck and the mire of life, then you should go somewhere else. I, I apologize deeply to you and just bless you as you go. But I don't think it's true. I think the enemy plays mind games with us. And you know, we look around and we're like, well, there's no perfect people here. Well, hello? Where are there perfect people? When you find that church, please come back and tell me so I can attend it one Sunday. Because I'd love to know what's going on there. But we're imperfect people. But the Lord calls us to walk alongside of each other. Maybe the reason that some of us don't get healed is because we never bring our stuff out in the open. We never confess our sins one to another. By the way, that's a command. And I get it. In the New Testament, it's, it's all about grace. It's all about choosing. Well, yeah, absolutely, but here's a choice. Confess your sins to one another and be healed or keep them all inside and stay in bondage. I mean, that sounds like a no-brainer, doesn't it? I know it's a big step. But repentance, scripturally, is not just to admit I've done something wrong. It's to have a complete change of thinking and a complete change of lifestyle. And the reason I confess my sins to other people is because they help me. They show me how I'm drifting right back into that lifestyle. They show me how I'm gonna just ease my way back into what I just came out of. I don't wanna go back there. I don't wanna get back in that rut. And I need help to get me out of that. I need God to come and break the chains supernaturally. And I need my brothers and sisters to walk alongside me and keep me in being able to see things better than me. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs tells us. Because if you don't have friends that ever come to you and say, hey, you're treating your spouse in an inappropriate way. The things that you're posting on Facebook, you really need to be careful. You don't have anybody in your life that does that, you're in trouble. I mean, I know that sometimes we have like all kinds of people that tell us nastily, but you need a friend. Not someone that's just gonna post on your page that you're an idiot, but someone that's gonna come beside you and say, hey, be careful. Be careful where you're putting your feet. You're walking down a dangerous path. We need to confess our sins to God and we need to confess our sins to others. And I know that repentance sounds like a simple thing, but yet we don't, we don't take it seriously. If you know in the chapter in the book, he talks about his, him and his wife going to this conference and they get this book on repentance and they go home and in 15 minutes he's done. And his wife took three hours to work through the book. And he admits, it wasn't because my wife is more sinful than me, it's because she took it way more seriously than I did. I mean, some of us, when it comes to repentance, we're just, we, just, we treat it like it's so trite. 
It's like washing our hands. Well, you know, I, I wash my hands. By the way, you soap. I watch, I mean, I'm a man, I'm in the bathroom. And I won't sit up here and say that every time I leave the bathroom, I've washed my hands thoroughly, I won't do it. But, you know, you got, men, there's a soap dispenser. You gotta, you gotta soap it up, okay? And then they tell you, you gotta wash for like, I don't even know how long it is, but it's longer than probably I do, or most of you. And we gotta, we gotta, we gotta do, we gotta wash. We gotta make sure we get all the germs. And we're like, well, you know, I know repentance. And so 15 seconds a day, I'll repent of my sin and then I'll just move on. And we wonder why we're not spiritually healthy. I mean, we won't even acknowledge before God, there's a whole lot of junk in my life. And it, again, my salvation isn't in question here. It's not like, oh, I'm such a wretch, I can't even come before you. I come boldly before the throne and I confess what's going on in my life because I know if I do and I humble myself before you and I tell you, hey, this junk is in my heart, you'll give me grace to overcome it. But if I pretend it's not there or I just turn the water on, rinse off a little and shut it off, there's less grace and I'm not gonna overcome it. I need grace. So we repent our sins before God, before others. Step number three, we renounce the lies of Satan. We talked about this last week in depth. We need to renounce the lies of Satan. Every thought that comes into our minds, if, it's a, if it doesn't line up with this book, it's a lie from the enemy, we take it captive, we demolish it. In Luke chapter 15, verse 29, the son, the second son, makes two statements. Look at these. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. How many of you believe that's true? How many of you believe there's a son anywhere on this planet that has never one time disobeyed his father? It's not true. It's a lie. And it's pride. It's a lie from the enemy. And it needed to be renounced by this young man, but instead he vocalizes it. I've never once disobeyed you. You know how many people sit in a church pew week after week judging people out in the world thinking, I was never like that. It's a lie. Every one of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's standard. All of us equally fall short of his standard. Because if you break one law, you're guilty of all. And it's a lie that has to be renounced. Then he goes on. Never disobeyed your orders, and you never gave me a goat. Everything, every good gift comes from our Father in heaven. But there are so many believers today that are in bondage to bitterness with God because God didn't give them what they wanted. I prayed for this person and they still died. Where were you when this happened? Where were you when this happened? God, I've served you, I have slaved for you, I've done all, I go to church every week, I pray, I read my Bible, and you've never given me anything. I would stay away from the word never. Because here we've got two sons and they are so many different lies. The first son says, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy to be your son. That's a lie. 
You know how I know that? Because Jesus came and died for us while we were still sinners. He showed we were worthy to be sons and daughters of God. He showed our worth. Now granted, you and I, apart from what he's done, there's no worthiness, none. But because of what he's done, we are worthy. And every lie from the enemy that comes in that says, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, needs to be renounced. The second lie is I'm worthy because of what I've done. It's just as equally poisonous. It's not what I have done. It's what he's done. He's made us worthy. Step number four is that we should receive the gifts that the Father wants to give us. But here's the thing, we can't receive the gifts if we don't renounce the lies of Satan. We reject the gift. Imagine the father trying to put the robe on the son and the son being like, get out of here, get that off of me. Don't put that ring on my finger, I'm not worthy of it. But people in church sometimes act like that. Oh, I'm such a worm and such a wretch. Why? Haven't you accepted Christ? Doesn't the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead live in you? Why are you such a wretch? I don't understand. Because you're still focusing on you and not on him. So here's the gifts that he gives us. First, he gives us a robe. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10 says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. He has dressed me with the clothing of salvation. He's draped me in a robe of righteousness. You and I, because of Christ, are covered in his righteousness. His righteousness. My best righteousness is filthy rags. His righteousness is a beautiful robe. And it's what I'm covered in. My good works then don't come to, to kind of adorn my robe. They come because I'm wearing the robe. We have to make sure that when we do good things to glorify our Father in heaven, we're doing it out of a place of relationship with him, out of a place of position in him, and not to try to gain one. Because the second brother was trying to gain it. Look at my righteous robes. And you never did anything for me. And the father's like, it's not about you. Does it make sense? We have to receive his salvation, his position, his righteousness. The second one he gives them is a ring. Luke chapter 10 verse 19 says, all authority over all the power of the enemy has been given to us. All authority over all the power of the enemy. Now, I know that we shouldn't use words like all and never, but God can. So when he says all authority over all power of the enemy, there's nothing left out. He puts a ring on our fingers that shows not only are we in right position with him, the robe of righteousness, but we have privilege. We are now sons and daughters of God, and I get to walk in a privilege that I didn't earn. I didn't earn this ring. It was given to me by my father. But this ring symbolizes all authority over all power of the enemy. And I gotta remind myself of that every single day. I don't have to walk in bondage to the enemy. I receive his ring of authority. And then the last thing is, he gives him sandals for his feet. Sandals for his feet. See, the sandals, shoes, differentiate between uh, slaves and free men. 
So by him putting shoes on his son's feet, he's saying, I reject your offer to be my servant. I am making you a free man. You are my son. I'm putting shoes on your feet. I see that as the power to walk out the new life we have. So the robe of righteousness gives us position. The ring of authority gives us privilege that we didn't earn, but it's ours. And then the sandals for our feet is the power to walk this out, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus told his disciples, you stay in Jerusalem until you get power from on high. You are going to need the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? Us in this room need that same power of the Holy Spirit just like those apostles. When, he, when Peter says this promise is for all who are far off, that includes us. Jesus did not make the statement in Luke 24, 49. I want you to wait and receive power from on high until there are enough PhDs on earth that you no longer need the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what we say. I, I mean, I, I'm so grateful for the word of God, Pastor. I am so grateful for the power of God. But you know, I, I, we can't over-spiritualize everything. I'm just gonna go to the doctor on this one. I'm just, I gotta go to a counselor and I gotta get some medication for this. And please, understand, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying don't go to a counselor. But we act like the word of God isn't true. We act like it is not the most powerful source we have. Again, I would rather not be well. I would just rather, you know, be well enough to get by. I mean, even if you go to a good doctor for high blood pressure, not only will that good doctor give you a pill to help lower your blood pressure, he'll tell you to change what you eat. He'll tell you to change your exercise routine. He'll tell you to change your lifestyle. Not just, you know, take this pill and, you know, who cares how you live, just, you know, whatever. If you go to a doctor that just says, here, take this pill and don't, it doesn't matter what you do. Find a new one. I mean, you should have a doctor that should say, hey, you need to really watch what you're eating. Hey, you really should exercise a few days a week. If you don't have a doctor that tells you both of those things, they're not a good doctor. If you go to a Christian counselor and they don't give you advice that lines up with this book, I don't care where they got their PhD from, they're not a Christian counselor. This book guides us on how to live. And just doing what helps you feel better in the moment isn't what you need. You need to walk in truth. Because you may feel better for a week or two, you may feel better, but you didn't deal with the change that put you into that bondage in the first place. We like to make it like everyone else is our problem. My kids are my problem. My parents are my problem. My boss is my problem. Oh, Lord, you gotta get me a new job because this job I have, man, it really makes me so angry and frustrated and I need to be around better people. Yeah, as if those people that you're around are causing your frustration. No, that frustration's on the inside of you called selfishness, pride, arrogance, all of these things come into the surface. And God's like, as soon as you deal with that, I'll move you somewhere else. But if I move you somewhere else, you're gonna find those people are just like the people you left. People that leave churches do the same thing. I've, I've met very few people who've only left a church once in their life. 
Generally, they leave this church because they got mad at somebody and they go to this church and they go to this church and they go to this church and they go to this church. And I know it's the, it's the pastor, it's that deacon, it's this youth pastor. I mean, I've heard, it's, it's, and you know what? Yeah, I can be part of the problem. I'm, I'm just like a human being. But if you think I'm your problem, you're fooling yourself. And if I think you're my problem, I'm fooling myself. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to walk out our salvation. The power of the Holy Spirit is not just for some wacko stuff to happen in a church service. The prayer language that we've been given is supposed to be something to build our faith as the New Testament teaches. It's not to be relegated to whether or not I've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit or not. If you go to Acts chapter two, verse 42, and you see they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then look what happens. They start devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They start devoting themselves to fellowship and sharing meals, and they meet together in one place, and they start sharing everything they have. That's what it's about. And yet we got people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, dancing in the aisles, flopping on the floor, but they don't share anything with anybody. Well, that ain't the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not even why he was given to us. He was given to us to start walking out our salvation. Notice that they worshiped in the temple each day. They met in homes together. They shared meals together. They started selling possessions. And then in Acts chapter three, verse one, Peter and John go to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Now, why is that important? Well, they go to the prayer service at three o'clock because that's when they always went. Meaning after the day of Pentecost, you know what they started to do? What they were doing before. They kept going to the temple. They kept praying. I mean, who needs to, we don't need to pray now. We've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. No, you need to pray more. And you need to pray in the Spirit now. So that you can walk this out. One last passage of scripture and then I'll be done. Ephesians 5.18, look at this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we look at this verse and we use it as a, a text about whether or not we should be able to drink alcohol or not, which is so, I mean, that's not even what Paul's talking about. Paul's, Paul's talking about don't be excessive in something that's gonna ruin your life. If you're gonna be excessive in something, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we just stop there. But if you keep reading through the rest of Ephesians chapter five, do you know what the rest of Ephesians chapter five says? Right after this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You know, Pastor, my wife and I need counseling. I don't know how to love my wife. Here's step one. Pray in the Spirit more often because the Spirit will empower. Now, I'm not saying don't go get help from a counselor, but if you're gonna expect them to do it all, it's not gonna happen. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given sandals for your feet to walk out your freedom in Christ Jesus. Other people can't walk it out for you. We have to walk it out. Then it goes on to say, wives, submit to your husbands. As, you know, we, we as good wives should. I know the word submit is so misused in our culture and so we don't understand it. Wives, you don't have a hard time submitting to your husbands because they don't love you properly. It, it's what's in you. You gotta deal with what's in you. And how do we do that? We do it through these steps. We admit I've got a problem. I've got a problem. My spouse is not my problem. I have a problem. 
I can love my wife whether she submits to me or not. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But it's a choice. It's a choice. God, I need to be set free from what the chains that, are break, that need to be broken off of me and now I need to discipline myself to walk this out because you've given me the grace to do it. Then it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it says children, obey your parents, honor them. See, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out. We're not to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can have more exciting worship services. We're to be filled with the Spirit so it changes our lives. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Employees, submit to your bosses. Employers, respect your employees. Put on all the armor of God so you can stand firm against the enemy. See what the baptism in the Holy Spirit was done for? But, it, but, but Pastor Tom, I've tried that baptism in the Holy Spirit thing. I've tried the scripture. I've tried to work out my salvation and it just didn't work. And so I, I find that there are some problems that aren't spiritual. There's no problem that's not spiritual. Now it might not be all spiritual, but there's no problem that doesn't have a spiritual connection to it. And so if we think we're just gonna get free by our own reasonings and our own processes, it's, it's not going to happen. We need to marry the natural and the supernatural. That's what has to take place in our lives. When we call on God and say, God, I, I've got a problem and I need your help. He gives us grace. He breaks those chains. You may not feel like the chains are broken, but the chains are broken because he said they're broken. And now we need to walk that freedom out. He's given us the power of the Spirit to walk it out. I heard a story this week about a PGA golfer, and I'm gonna close with this. And he was shooting his practice round. How many of you know they go out hours before the, the tournament that you watch on TV and they shoot, they hit hundreds of balls just to practice. And this one PGA player was practicing and there was a crowd behind him and he, the guy in the crowd yells out, man, I wish I could hit a golf ball like that. And for whatever reason, the golfer that day decides to turn around and says, no, you don't. No, you don't. He said, see, what happens is I have to hit a thousand balls to get shots like that. And if I hit one ball and it slices or one ball and it hooks, I've got to hit a thousand more balls to try to straighten that thing out. Sometimes my hands crack and they begin to bleed and I have to bandage them up and hit a thousand more balls. So the thing is, you don't want to hit a ball like that. You don't want the discipline that is required to hit a ball like that. You're just hoping that you could hit a ball like that the easy way. There's a new movement in Christianity called soaking, grave soaking, grave soaking. You go lay on the ground of a, a dead person who was used mightily by God and you soak up the anointing. There, literally, this is happening. Um, because of Elisha. Remember the story of Elisha, the bones, and they threw the dead guy in and he revived. Because we don't want to get up in the morning and pray. We don't want to read the word. We don't want to deal with our offenses. We don't want to break the chains and ask God. We don't want to admit that we have a problem. I'd rather just lay on the ground and soak it up. It, it, it's not going to come that way. And we'll find ourselves in bondage day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And all it takes is saying, God, I have a problem. I mean, you don't even have to go into the great details because I mean, if you know, all you gotta say is I have a problem and he'll fill in the blanks. I've got a problem. I've got more problems than I even know. Help. 
And you know what he does? He sees you when you're a far distance off and he runs with a robe of righteousness, with a ring of authority and with sandals for your feet. Everything you need to walk in freedom. Everything. Today we're gonna set the communion elements out on the table and uh, in just a moment when they're out, I wanna, I'm gonna invite you to come. I want you to take these elements and you just head back to your seats. Today as we close the service, I'm gonna pray one prayer over everyone and then we're gonna take the elements and we're gonna dismiss you. We're not, it's not gonna be a lengthy moment. Um, Pastor John's gonna come in that time and if you have trouble coming to the front, please just stay in your seat. Maybe signal him as he walks by and he'll stop and he'll serve you. Uh, we'll bring the elements to you. If it's easier for you, we wanna make it easier for you. And so we're gonna come to the table. We're gonna do that and then we're gonna give you time to repent. And some of you maybe are gonna, t you're gonna be like Debbie in the book and you're gonna need a few minutes. Some of you might be like Pastor Robert and you only need a couple seconds and you'll be on your way. Um, and I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit be the guide. Because here's the thing, if you are daily repenting, then this isn't a long process. I mean, if you're daily dealing with your stuff and taking it before the Lord, it doesn't have to be a, let me sit and think about all the ways that I'm an evil person. No, if the Holy Spirit is gonna, he'll bring it to your mind. All you gotta do is say, Holy Spirit, is there something you want me to repent of today? And if you sit there for 30 seconds and nothing comes to your mind, then, then it's good. But if the Holy Spirit starts bringing people or things to your mind, repent. And you stay as long as you need to. We're gonna have our prayer team come back. If you wanna come and be prayed for, you wanna have someone pray over you, all of that's gonna happen. We're gonna start, we're gonna serve the elements, and then we'll take communion all together, and then I'll dismiss you. And I wanted to use uh, one last time, I know the season is gone, but uh, one last time I wanna use this video in this series. Stand with me if you can. If you just want to make your way to the outside aisles row by row and just come around, receive the elements and head back uh, to your seat through the center aisle. the night of our dear Savior's birth. And long lay the world in sin and error The soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious
table this morning was because it's going to take a choice on our part to choose to come to the Lord, to come to our senses, to recognize our need of him. And as we do that, as we admit to him our need, as we confess our sin to him and to one another, and we come to him, we get to receive those gifts that he's promised. And this is what this, this table is all about. We receive a robe of righteousness. And all you have to do is ask for it. All you have to do is confess your sin to him. All you have to do is admit you can't put on a robe anywhere near what he needs. That Christ did it for us. We put on that robe. We put on that ring, that privilege that he's given to us, that authority. Every chain is broken. The power of the Holy Spirit, the sandals on our feet to walk this out. And so, Father, as we take these elements today, we recognize we need you. God, we have sinned. We have fallen short of your standard of righteousness. But today we receive the robe of righteousness that Christ has made available to us. We take on that ring, that privilege. We are now sons and daughters of God. You have given us the authority that we need to break the chains of the enemy. God, to break off the addictions, the the lies of the past. And you've put sandals on our feet. You've given us your spirit. You haven't left us as orphans. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And God, we can walk this out. We can read our word. We can pray. We can can hold our tongue when we need to. We can love our spouses even when our spouses don't reciprocate that love. God, we can do these things that you've called us to do. We don't have to go back to the old lifestyle. 
You've given us power to walk in freedom. And we choose freedom today. And when we fail, God, we confess, we repent, and we choose freedom once again. We're not gonna be yoked to bondage again. We're not gonna be yoked to to uh, self-sacrifice or just trying to prove our worth to you. God, it's always about Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So God, we rest in that today. Holy Spirit, as we take these elements today, would you bring to our minds areas of our lives that we need to break, that we need to repent of, ways that we've allowed the lies of the enemy to settle in our hearts. Help us to use the truth of your word today to just simply confess, admit them to you, to break off those chains and to walk out of here as free men and free women. Break off the chains of addiction. Break off the chains of lust and greed. Break off the chains of pride and bitterness, past wounds. Break every lying thought in our minds. Bring freedom to your people today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the elements together. Now, Lord, I ask that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, and that you would give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. when you need to be dismissed, uh, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that need to spend a few more moments. If you need someone to pray with you, uh, we'll be here in the front. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you before you leave today. God bless you as you go.